Welcome, friends, to the very first inaugural episode of Beyond the Sectors. My name is Chelsea. I'm Anna. And we are here uh, by a little kind of act of fate and joined love of these absolutely bonkers books. So I've been reading the Beyond books, trying to think back um, since probably 20, uh, it's been what, three or four years since I read the first one. And um, I, I was trying to look back on my blog, to, when did I find these? How did I find them? And I don't have an early review because I sort of read them not as a review book. Somebody mentioned it mm-hmm. on Smart Bitches or on um, Dear Author. And I was just like, oh, I'll try that. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it was like a, the 99 cent version that Brie was talking about. Probably that book bub from back in the day mm-hmm. that I picked that first book up. That's so awesome. So you've been reading them a long time. I haven't been reading them uh, quite as long. I think it was probably just shy of two years ago. Um, People who are joining from my other podcast or have heard me talk about this in other places before will know. um, One of my very best internet friends, I had met her shortly before this and she was talking about these books knowing where my interests lied in terms of like romance and all of those things. And it happened to be right before Beyond Surrender came out. And so they were doing that huge ebook bundle. Yeah, the huge box set of everything for like $10 or something. It was like beyond worth it because it was like a million words or something and I think I read the first one uh, Beyond Shame which is what we're going to talk about today and then it was like two weeks left or like 10 days to read the next like 10 books in the series or something ridiculous so that's exactly what I did it was and I just like devoured them in one sitting and became like a convert and an acolyte of (laughs) Kit and everything that they do and Brie and Donna and how amazing they are and uh, yeah I've probably reread at least a handful of them, if not like the whole series, several times since then. So yeah, I reread them the a lot. Books it was, a lot. was so funny to me. It's like I have like six different copies of Beyond Shame because I kept mm-hmm. picking it up in every version that it would come up because I, it meant so much to me when I first read it and got into the world. But yeah, I actually have like a paper copy. I don't buy paper copies, and I have a signed mm-hmm. copy because those are things that they they become so significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a signed copy of uh, Beyond Jealousy from when they do their author sale every year because that's my fave, as you guys will very quickly come to learn. I have a lot of feelings about that particular OT3, uh, but we are getting way ahead of ourselves. That's like book four. We are jumping many, many steps ahead of where we need to be. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit about how we found the books. Do we want to just do a little like who we are just so people know because it's the first time? Um, do you want to go first, Anna? Sure. I'm Anna Koki on Twitter and I've been blogging probably for on ro- about romance since uh, 2012 or something like that. Um, I had finished library school and I could read again and just started reading a lot of romance and because I sort of felt like I was done. I was overwhelmed with YA dystopia and Mm -hmm. I needed some happy endings in my life. And um, I read lots and lots of erotic romance when I first got started, which is how I found the the Beyond books. And um, so, yeah, I I review romance and I also review them for Love and Panels which is another review blog, but mostly I also run Ron Book Love on Twitter every year. Mm-hmm. Yay, we love Ron Book Love. <laughs> and we love Love and Panels. Uh, my name is Chelsea Outlaw. 
I have not been reading romance nearly as long. I'm going to be the new dog around here in all the ways, uh, but probably mm, four or five years ago, I had also gotten out of library school and had gotten my first job in a public library. And because I was a young adult librarian, I had been doing the young adult dystopian thing that was oh so popular at that time. Uh, and so I was really ready to just try a new thing. And so somebody recommended uh, Sarah McLean romances, which led to Tessa Dare romances, which just led further and further. Um, my I really love fan fiction. I read a lot of fan fiction. And those tastes have always run a little bit more towards like the erotica and like the dark hopeful romance side of things. But uh, so yeah, so when I got these books recommended to me and it kind of opened up this whole new uh, door and world, that's when I got started. I spend most of my time on Twitter at An Outlaw Life and uh, doing my other podcast, Not Now I'm Reading, with my very, very dear friend and current roommate, Kay, where we talk about romance. Actually, the very first book that we ever did was Ashwin, which fall is the first book followed up to the Beyond series. So we have a history with these books and with Kit, and we just love them a lot. But yeah, that's probably where a bulk of people will, would recognize me from, from my many, many hours spent on Twitter <laughs> and doing podcast things. All right. Well, now that we have talked just a little bit about who we are, we are going to talk about the book that we're here to talk about, which is Beyond Shame. It's the first book in the Beyond verse. It's where we meet our uh, first introduction to the O'Kane family. Do we want to go ahead and do a quick little plot summary, just in case anybody hasn't read it yet? So yeah, it's just a sort of a classic falling out of Eden, uh, literally. There's a very uh, repressive uh, community that uh, expels this young woman onto the dangerous sectors and she finds an unlikely savior and uh, new freedom that's unexpected. It's absolutely fantastic. It's set up so brilliantly from the very first page, exactly like Anna was talking about, as that literal fall from Eden, which is the name of our quote utopian, but actually just hyper repressive and religious community. <laughs> that our main female character, Noelle Cunningham, has liter literally been cast out of. Uh, she got caught partying, which is against the rules, and so she's literally thrown out of the city. And she falls into the hands of Jasper McRae, who is uh, just kind of out patrolling Sector 4, which is the sector in which he and his family live, the O'Kanes. Um, and yeah, this beautiful, very naive princess is kind of cast into his arms and she's got the biggest doe eyes for him. But lucky for her, she's run into not only somebody who's willing to save her, but a whole little ragtag group of people who have bad habits of uh, adopting the lost and taking in people who need homes. So we meet quite a few people in this first book, but it's really just a story of consent and learning to trust oneself and finding another person who helps you do that. And claiming desire. I think one of the biggest themes in that book is her actually learning what she loves and mm -hmm. learning to be able to say it, even if it sort of makes her, you know, like stop thinking about what other people think about it, thinking about mm -hmm. Yeah. And the book spends, and she spends a good amount of time wrestling with that tie up that comes with like sex and shame and feelings and where those lines are drawn when it's something that you legitimately 
want, even if it's something you've been told that perhaps you shouldn't want, particularly in this scenario and in the society she's coming from. It's this entire book that I think I love about it. Not only does it lay the foundation for like characters and plot and so many different like layers of the kind of family tree that unfold later in the series, but it really sets that foundational thematic principle of shame is not a principle that we operate on here or the things that cause shame in this community and in this world are not the things that necessarily you've been taught should cause shame. And there's just a great deal of like personal agency and consent in that that I really, really like. And yeah, like Anna said, it's about Noelle learning to take that back and use that language for herself. No, absolutely. One of the things that I've been rereading uh, the series through audio, and one of the things that's just struck me going back is how so many of the things that go throughout the series are laid out in that first book. It isn't like, oh, they just came up with this later or it grew out of something. Even though I feel like some elements, like the biker elements and the fight night kind of stuff that's eventually faded away uh, were sort of central there in the beginning. Um, the, the themes of consent, of belonging, of family, all of those are just there from day one. Yeah. Absolutely. And they and they do such a brilliant job of that on so many levels, because that's my favorite thing about going back and rereading, having read all the other books is seeing how those seeds get planted for plots and for characters. And the, the series is so long, that obviously, as the books go on, like we don't meet everybody right in this first book. That would be a lot of people. But we meet so many people. We do meet like Nessa from a later book right there mm-hmm. in that first fight night. And that gets called back to. Um, and that was something when I first read the book, she wasn't terribly important to me. So I just sort of mm-hmm. went right past her. Now that I'm going back, I'm like, hey, that's Nessa. And that's what's so much fun about getting to see those things. And it's fun to track how they develop or change or kind of deepen as we go through the book. So mm-hmm. we will definitely be doing uh, quite a bit of that with our favorite characters and our favorite couples and things because this, the the world is so wonderful because it feels so lived in already from the moment you pick it up. And this, this family and this group, they feel like they have so many bonds. And even though you know you don't know everything, you know that there's lots there to learn and lots of kind of backstory that only unfolds more. Right. So very clearly, that even that first scene when Jess ends up catching um, Noelle, there's that teasing that goes on of like, oh, yeah, you're trying to be the white, the like the savior on the white knight kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that's only something a character, you feel like those characters really know each other and they can tease each other from that moment. You're sort of like looking and going like, well, what's that? So, you know, there's Noel's getting to know Jazz um, and discovering this about him and that tension that it creates in their relationship. Um, but it's right there in that first scene that that's a thing that everybody knows about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really, that's, I love all of these books because they're all about the the women in this community, even the ones that aren't, aren't necessarily, but like they are all about the women in this community. But even operating under that, there's such a good like brotherhood mm-hmm. and there's such a good like friendship among this group of men that's not like completely free of all shades of like toxic masculinity because dudes, but also like is very hyper aware of not indulging in those particular things in a way that's like really healthy and optimistic, even though the world is like basically a post-apocalypse kind of like i mean there's a real arc in how the men in the gang really behave um Mm -hmm. 
and you can see that progress of like I'm in the middle of re-listening to the next book and I'm like want to slap Dallas around and <laughs> they, they, yes they, yes, so Anna, so yes. Like, yeah nobody's perfect at the beginning everybody's messing up but there's that yeah not that tox- toxicity they have a brotherhood they have a friendship they care about each other not just trying to beat each other to a pulp and it's really nice to to see that I love I really love books like that. I have a really big affinity for like t- like hockey fic or like sports romances, band romances, that kind of built-in brotherhood The band thing, of brothers think, kind of thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think, and what I love so much about this one is it's a band of brothers and it's not all necessarily men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are a lot, you mm-hmm. know, you get characters like Rachel, you get characters like Six later on as her role becomes more and more important that become these kinds of like integrated into the brotherhood in an additional way beyond just being in like the community at large and it's just a really interesting dynamic to see like unfold both throughout the series and then also just within the course of like this book because there's so many different between Lex and Dallas and Ace and Rachel there's so many different levels of power and possible power imbalance that I think are skirted or handled or addressed really nicely. Right. I mean, one of the things that I, why I go to the, these books is because the power dynamics are explicitly part of the text. Uh, so many times you're like, wow, I'm really uncomfortable with the power he had over her or wow, there's this thing. And you, but you're not sure if the authors are aware of the power dynamics mm-hmm. in a relationship or in a trope. But I've never felt that the, the Brie or Donna aren't aware. They, they know, they write them in very explicitly. Those are the conflict drivers in the text. And yeah, and like you said, that's that's what's so beautiful because it is what's driving conflict. So there's that, that sense that it's not only character, but also authorial awareness and intent in trying to address this. And like you said, it really does shift and grow as the books go on and a lot of the okay men kind of wise up and learn a little bit and meet a variety of different women who are powerful in different ways, which is another really interesting theme of this book, that idea that power can express itself in a wide variety of ways and people have power and agency that they may not originally think they have because they're not thinking of it that way. Right. I mean, because you get Noelle very early on in the books trying to figure out how she buys her way into the, the relationships. And you just sort of like, no, you know, like she's counting that the dollars and cents of what is given to her um, because she she's concerned about what where it's mm-hmm. going to go. And then you see that again also with sex um, later on and such an interesting intentional thing to see her growing awareness of her value and what she brings to the, to the community. You know, she thinks for some reason, like I'm getting I'm only being allowed in because Lex loves me or because Jess is interested in me. Uh, but it's like, no, you have value yourself to the O'Kanes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because she kind of grows to realize and embrace that by the end of the book. And she really is can see the fact that her her life in this very sheltered community still left her with a knowledge base that those not born in that community don't have. And so that knowledge can be powerful and just the possession of it can be a source of power for her to use or not use. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite scenes in that whole book is when she's sitting there with the tablet and talking to Dallas and just having her moment of, it wasn't at Dallas, it was Rachel, right? Because mm-hmm. Dallas had left her with the tablet and she's starting to figure out like, um, oh my gosh, these are things that she just 
assumes everybody knows they don't know outside the sectors and and Rachel sort of challenges her of all the little things she does know about the powerful families and all that kind of stuff and her realization of the power she has over the people who cast her out just it was just a pow moment for her that I was just always like yes yeah, and it's so wonderful, and that's what's, like, it's the brilliant thing about this book, the of the many, is just, like, it's a really good way to do an entrance to this series, I've always really thought, and it's always, you know, Brie and Donna aren't the only authors who have kind of done this in terms of, like, starting a series, but to do that literal outsider, cast out, no knowledge viewpoint, and have us, for the most part, stick with her and in her perspective as she learns, just like we do, about, like, the community and the rules and the social structures and kind of how it all works. And granted, we're not just in her perspective, so we have a little bit more outside knowledge, but that moment feels so empowering for the reader because you've been so much with Noelle through that thought process of her quote-unquote worth and how she's not worth anything and how she's, you know, just there because of the charity of others or the goodness of others. And so, yeah, it feels really good to have her realize it might look different. She might not wield her power the same way Lex does, but she has that same innate, like innate power that she can draw from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it was interesting to me to to as a reader. I come from a religious background, and um, seeing the religious um, references all throughout the book, you know, very uh, yes, Eden, and then I, as somebody who grew up in the purity culture and of evangelical churches, I so connected with noelle's journey of Mm -hmm. uh, sort of seeing herself as someone with value whether or not she's married to the right person or behaving in the right way um Mm -hmm. and to redefine that and reject that so it was it's you know so there's so many layers to me in, in this book you know there's the point where Brie and Donna said that they were responding to um, Sons of Anarchy, right? And they were responding Mm -hmm. to Fifty Shades of Grey and the stuff they do. But they were also responding, I think, to elements in evangelical Christian culture that permeates our regular culture Mm -hmm. and responding to so many other um, questions about what makes for a a legitimate heroine journey, right, in romance. where you know it's she ends up with jazz at the end of the book but she's also with lex and she's also mm-hmm. you know in, in that it's so clear in the book that her desire and attraction and love is developing for them both throughout the book um, mm-hmm. not just a so she doesn't have to give up one of them um to have her happy ending and it's and she learns and she learns that she doesn't have to have either of them if she doesn't want to and that's you know that's, that's that last like important yeah. piece of the puzzle for her and for kind of that character's journey and and yeah that's what I really like about Brie and Donna because they really take that concept of a happily ever after can look different for each person or couple or situation depending on truly what it is that makes that couple happy and that's something that we'll definitely see in other books kind of coming up in terms of how the dynamic shakes out but yeah it's just a very kind of empowering I mean the whole series is empowering but to really stick with Noelle through that journey and through that like shift and ownership of her own not just body but her own mind and her desires and power and all of those things and then 
she they are Noel and Jess are my favorite couple to get little glimpses of as like the series goes on because they're always there like floating in the background and we'll talk more about them so no spoilers but they just do some really like the way their story grows is really really beautiful and so to kind of know how that happens way down the line and to see it start here and to where all of that started again is just really really nice and you know, I have a bad habit of just going back to some of my favorite books or favorite parts or favorite couples. So I think really rereading the whole series will remind me of all of those things that I loved, even from like the very beginning. Is there anything, because we've been very, very <laughs> agilous of this book because we love it a lot. Is there anything about it that maybe is like a seven on the scale and not a 10? <laughs> you know, I, I love this book. Um and it's interesting to me, some of the stuff that I guess to me isn't as when I first came to it, I came to it as an erotic romance, right? So mm-hmm. I read the first three books, I think, like back to back. And it wasn't until halfway through the second book that I went, oh my gosh, the politics is important. Because I'd been reading so many books that were just erotic romance, sex focus, only the things that happen in the room matters right Mm -hmm. that I honestly skipped over so much of the politics in the first book because I wanted to get to that other exciting sex scene and as I got involved in the books I read and cared for the characters and then I was realizing like oh I think it was like the scene where we're at Karis's in the next book Mm -hmm. that I'm like shoot I don't know anything about this so I went back and read behind shame again Mm -hmm, and so I think it's not so much nothing wrong with the book but sometimes the expectations Mm -hmm. that people come into for with a book Um, early on this book was packaged along with like dark romance biker romances like and so Mm -hmm. it was I think I can see how people get confused because it's and I think it's very intentionally in there you know they are they're taking those tropes and that setting and subverting them but if you're reading really quickly and reading mm-hmm. for the sex you can sort of like wait wait because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's that was my that's the thing I was going to say is again it's not even necessarily about the book so much as it was when I first found it and first kind of getting into it it, it fell into that kind of mental category of those same like boxer fight night biker club kind of anti-hero like sort of romances that I'd read like a fair amount of because like I said I'm a sucker for that like found family boys clubby like Mm -hmm. kind of thing and so again yeah it probably wasn't until I'd gotten through the second book and that part kind of starts falling more and more away that I realized like this is a book that started that way or a series that started that way very intentionally but was going to be growing to something very different and that wasn't going to be the thing that like we were really focused on and so it was like you said just a different kind of expectation and that's I love that there's so many now because it's so easy to go no 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 I know <laughs> I know the first one or I know when you pick it up it might seem like it's going to be this thing well, and but I, I promise I had a conversation with someone where they're like oh but you know Noel and, and Lex are just putting that on to, to like the men. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, I don't think we were reading the same book, friend, because I don't know. <laughs> I realized it's if you didn't read, and I'm thinking, but it's in Lex's and Noel's point of view that their desire mm-hmm. is real. But I think if you come with expectations from other books and other of this genre mm-hmm. work, yeah, people put that on. They don't understand that. This this polyness, this um, sort of it, the the grandness of love in the within the O'Kanes mm-hmm. um, is a thing. You might think, oh, 
in the not, and mistake the power dynamics in there because yeah yeah you got a characters who are like they're stripping they're dancing and they are engaging in group sex in situations mm-hmm. and i think if often you find those in books where sometimes the power dynamics are not as favorable and so i think mm-hmm. some people just read past what's there because they come with an expectation I agree with that. And because there's a part of that that is performative. The, you know, some of like the group sex that happens on stage or the stripping, like those scenes are are performative. Those women are performing in a specific scenario. So if you're not used to or kind of already have preconceived ideas, I could see how you could possibly translate that to the kind of offstage moments and think that they're still being performative in that same kind of way, even though they're telling you on the page many times mm-hmm that that's not what's happening and not what's actually going well, on. And I, I think that's part of that whole, we're following Noelle's point of view so closely at the beginning and she misunderstands mm-hmm. moments and yes. she uh, is not sure of the rules. So if you stop there, that might be what you think is happening. Yes, that's a very good point, Anna. Okay, uh, before we go, because I think we're kind of sort of heading towards wrapping <laughs> up, maybe, I mean, guys, we could go on yeah. about these books for like forever, but uh, did you have favorite scene favorite characters that you met in this book or the way we meet them any kind of those big standout favorites from this one for you uh for me honestly yes um i love rachel and ace and six who are some of the main characters that get introduced as secondary characters here Mm -hmm. um i will never get over uh that scene with rachel and noel when they have that conversation where i mentioned i I think Mm -hmm. that was a moment of sisterhood of of also just vulnerability on both their parts when they're talking about their values to their family and values to, mm-hmm. toward the gang. Um, so those are the people that I was most invested coming out of that book. But you mm-hmm. know, Lex is my queen, so. Yeah, Lex Lex is always queen. I love the, I love the pacing, and this is a thing that's hard to, to see if you haven't read them before, but I like the way that Kit and Donna do their like interstitials, like a bulk, like we see a little bit from different characters who aren't Noelle and Jazz, but a bulk of that is from Lex, like Lex gets two or three and she's the main character of our next book. And then in the next book, mm-hmm. you'll get more of those, but that they'll be from Six's perspective. Like, and so they slowly build on the characters you need to know and they're kind of always floating in the background, but you get m- those little chunks that kind of set you up for the next book. Right, that's where you get little ang- different angles of the sectors expanded to you because, yeah, you're, and that keeps the books from being claustrophobic mm-hmm. yeah, just because you're always seeing just a hint of like something that's down the road. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay, my, we told you we talk about him, friends. We have to, Ace is just, I love him so much. And it's hard to fully like put into words why without getting into like, other books and things that happen but he's just like in this book he's that perfect level of like just smart ass and you just want to like slap him but then kiss him and he's just being like adorable but also the worst there's are several scenes where he gives noelle these like brotherly hugs that she says are very like affectionate and that like just being physically affectionate but not physically sexually affectionate is something she's like doesn't really understand and is like kind of like a new concept for her. Like what are the boundaries yeah. here? He's he's always he's in the in this book so like the one who pushes the her boundaries more. Like Jazz is so focused on sort of trying to respect them mm-hmm. and let her and he's always like, 
Oh, I'm going to get in there. <laughs> Always. And that's the best thing about Ace is that like he can be he can be really, really inappropriate. But he always is that person who knows like where the line is. Like and if he crosses it, he's going to do it on purpose. But like he'll dance around it and he'll be super, super close to it because that's just how he is. He'll ask he'll ask that uncomfortable question that he knows everybody wants to ask. Mm-hmm. And I think to me, he's one of the characters, uh, especially of the male characters in the gang, who is most vulnerable, mm-hmm. emotionally vulnerable, because he has that face. He can always sort of put on the mask of up for anything, whatever. And as the series will progress, you'll we'll see more of that. But yeah, I think you get a sense of that, that there's a public persona versus the, the real ace. Early, very mm-hmm. early. And that, yeah, and like you said, that becomes much more important as we get, like, into later books and you kind of find out why. I also think he does, he's maybe the character who does the most amount of, who's not Dallas, because I think Dallas does a mm-hmm. lot of growing. <laughs> but I think he's maybe mm-hmm. the character that does the most uh, growth or whose world kind of expands in a way that really shakes him and a lot of his beliefs the most. Right, right. His definition of what, what could be a happiness for him. Mm-hmm. Really does dramatically, yeah, and change. it's really beautiful because we don't get that story, that primary story, until book four. So we actually get a decent amount of like kind of off the page or, or viewing it at a glance as that power dynamic kind of develops over the next couple of books. Mm-hmm. And so then to see mm-hmm. it really be center stage, and that's what I just, I just love them so much, Brian Donna, because it's just <laughs> you can go back and see, like you said, that it's. I don't know how much of it was intentional or, quote, accidental, but they've had an idea from the beginning that they've been working to execute. And you can see, like, seeds of it from the very beginning, and they just, like, blossom in the most beautiful way. And that's such a bad metaphor, but I just love these books so much. <laughs> uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to add, Anna, about this one or anything that we didn't hit that you wanted to cover? I think we've hit, you know, world-building characters, um, I think in just the fact that it's such an interesting introduction to an an arch mm-hmm. uh, arc, you know, it's not just a one and done story and you get that sense mm-hmm. from the beginning. That will probably about wrap us up for the first one we will be back in a couple of weeks to talk about the next book which is beyond control also known as lex and dallas's book if you've not gotten the chance to read it you can go ahead hop online pick yourself up a copy we are going to be diving into the second book we are having a ton of fun doing this little project you can find us online yes it's beyondthesectors.com um, it's, and then you can find us at uh, Beyond Sectors on Twitter. Too. Perfect. Keeping it super simple. Um, until next time, friends, go out, pick up yourself a copy of Beyond Control, and uh, we will see you guys beyond the sectors. Bye. Bye.